That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Man, have I got a whopper of an episode for you today. Joining me in studio, Dr. Owen Muir. Oh, my God. This guy, he, he's a little of everything, but kind of to sum him up, he, he is a board-certified psychiatrist. He works with kids and adolescents. He's the co-author of a book called Adolescent Suicide and Self-Injury, Mentalizing Theory and Treatment, a true academic, a true medical professional. He wraps his head around every single problem in the mental health space, but he has an extraordinary position on mental health as jargon, that we are beyond the mental health issues. Everything that we know now is completely misrepresented. The data is there. The medicine's there. The treatments are there. And it's just a hell of a ride to sum him up in one phrase. His own phrase, beyond being a University of Rochester graduate and a Wegmans lover like me, you have a right to your health. Dr. Owen Muir, up next. This is me speaking quietly, but appropriately into the microphone. And this is me shouting into the microphone. So that you can get an appropriate level, and that compressor is clamping down appropriately. Maybe a little faster than I would set it, but I am obsessive about that sort of thing. No one would ever expect that you're an MD. Uh, I mean, good. <laughs> I mean, you don't come across like, you're not like, you know, the, the, the perception of MD, you know, the stiff, apathetic. I, familiar, you know, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you come from radio. What? Arts, I mean, theater, background, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. opposite of what you would expect someone with an MD to have. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse? Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily make for the most relatable MDs. Uh, and I think we would be better off with more MDs who went through you know, <laughs> some degree of radio <laughs> to communicate something clearly or relatable. Well, theater is always a great backstop to give you that sense of like, how do you... How do you balance being serious and not serious yeah. at the same time? So I did uh, the I did more improv than than straight improv, up there, but eight, eight years of improv. Yes, and uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, and enough theater. But you tell me how you want to start it out, or this is it. Or Wait, this is the show. This is the show. Owen Muir. That is me. What are you half Scottish, half something? Uh, half Italian. Yeah, Scottish and Italian. Yeah. Is that like spaghetti haggis? Like they call me bagel, Jew bagel. Well, like, yeah. I'm sorry. No, they called me, what are they, pizza bagel. Pizza bagel. Because I was like, I wasn't, I'm not half Italian, but I grew up with only Italian. So it kind of osmosified into my culture. Yep. So what were you called? Uh, well, so I, uh, Muir is the last name. My, my dad is Scottish uh, and my, my mom is Sicilian and born Vita Roberta Bavona. 
Whoa. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's alliteration personified. <laughs> what was her mother thinking? Um, this is a very, it's a beautiful name uh, is what Vicky Bavano was thinking. And uh, married, my mom's first husband was Edmund West, the grandson of H.G. Wells. Get out of here. Not kidding. Uh, and that did not work out. For okay. All, for all the stiff upper lip English reasons you'd think. And then she married Art Muir, my dad. Uh, but the the culture in my home was Italian. And where was that? Uh, Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. Wait, Italians in Connecticut? Uh, we were the, I was the only, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. I'm the closest to not white in my town. Okay. We were the only Italian kids in all of the, that I knew. I mean, I was just in Tennessee. As of this recording, I was just in Tennessee on my family vacation. I think we increased the Jewish population by four. I mean, as far as they're concerned, you may have, that that may have been enough. <laughs> we just for, for for shits and giggles, we were like, "Where's the nearest synagogue?" Oh, it's 60, 60 miles away in in Knoxville. But but similarly, in in residency, it took my classmates at Long Island Jewish Medical Center three years to figure out I was not Jewish. Well, I mean, come on, <laughs> I mean, face for radio, notwithstanding, right? You look right. Jewish. I do look Jewish. You yeah. got the Jewish look. Yeah, but I'm not. Have you ever been christened Jewish? By a Jew? <laughs> uh, my nickname in, in med school was was Owen Muirstein. All right. I, I'm going to agree with that. I, I can I, um, uh, I concur <laughs> on the nomenclature. Yeah. So we have a million things in common, the least of which is that we're fans of each other's work. But we can't not start without the – you went to U of R. That is true. And I went to Binghamton. So we must have the Venn diagram of the love of Wegmans. Yeah. Kicking off our conversation. <laughs> we absolutely do. What was your first Wegmans experience? Because I mine is embedded my DNA forever. Yeah. So uh, it, Rochester has the Mega Weg. Yes. And Rochester, New York has two good restaurants, one of which is the Wegmans restaurant, which mm-hmm. was then upgraded while I was there to next door. To Wegmans, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's great. It's a fabulous restaurant, and uh, and Lento was the other good one. Ah, um, but uh, you know that. So there is for non-Western New Yorkers, uh, Wegmans is a grocery store that is great. Yeah, you have to experience it. It's one of those things where like it, like it. What do you mean? I mean, I grew up downstate with like Pathmark and Walbrams, and like the, the Wegmans was part of like the orientation to Binghamton. Like you yeah. had to go there. You have to go there, and we didn't understand life could be this way. Yeah, until we walked if in you, the store. If you took a Whole Foods and you put it inside uh, a Pathmark, yeah, and then it was all just a little bit better. Like, what do you mean you can make your own peanut butter mm-hmm. in 1992? Right, <laughs> because of. that's just what's happening now. It was amazing. Yeah. So, so the Connecticut Italian N of one goes to upstate New York. Did they flat A your name? Uh, like on? <laughs> I mean, they flat A everything. Um, I was Matthew. So, in uh, it was a, it was a wonderful place to train. The University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry, which has no dental school. <laughs> um, <laughs> Note to self. Well, it was an it was a negotiation between the uh, iconoclastic uh, George Eastman, mm. who built that town, and the deans of the the school, and he wanted it to have freaking dentistry in the name, and despite there, there being no dental school. So the the because he was going to write a check, oh, okay. and, a, and a big one, 
And it was, I mean, he built, I mean, he funded everything in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And so the, the compromise was postgraduate dental research, which is there till this day, and dentistry in the name. But it's awesome for me because when scammers reach out to me on LinkedIn about their dental school and they told me they go to the U of R, I'm like, no, yep. you, no you didn't. That's a wonderful little uh, poker tell <laughs> no, right you there. Didn't. You did not go to the University of Rochester. Because there is none. It's, it was to make a iconoclastic, you know, multimillionaire and at the time satisfied. Sometimes it works. And this is one of those times, yeah. But why U of R? Uh, they were wise enough to let me in. Okay. Uh, so they lost the bet and you won the bet. No, the way around, I called Amherst College when I was applying to medical school, which was my undergrad. And I, I had taken uh, a bunch of years like between, because I thought I was going to be a recording engineer. And so I worked at Sony Music Studios and I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to be a doctor. I tried to not be a doctor very intentionally. I took no pre-med classes in undergrad and tried to block myself from making that possible and failed miserably. But one of the great things about Amherst College is you can call them up five years later and be like, now what do I do with my life? And they'll be like, let us help. Um, And they said, you should apply to Rochester. They love students like you. And I said, I know nothing about this place, but sure. And I could not have been, I went there and I was so ready just like, I'm going to stay in New York City. I live in Brooklyn. Right. I'm cool. I was, it was amazing. It was the best thing I'd ever seen. And I, I was accepted three weeks later, and I canceled all my other interviews, and I just said, this is it. That's wonderful. Yeah. And the rest is history. And then some. But yeah, I still have close relationships to mentors at Rochester. Anytime I meet a Rochester person, like Paul Pori is a screenwriter and psychiatrist and friend now, and he graduated like the year before me. But we have that kind of thread of bio. I didn't know medicine sucked. I didn't know it was like awful as a professor <laughs> until I left. I thought people were all nice and like every surgeon was biopsychosocial. Wait, have you met people? And not when no I, one's not, nice. But in 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 like in Rochester, if surgeons do something wrong to a medical student. There are meaningful consequences. What does that mean? <laughs> consequences? You can't just be a jerk and treat people badly and have it go well in that place. Right. Because the standards are of my first lecture. Just guess. Topic. Um, uh, film noir. I'm clear. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Really? No, really. It's medical school. Um, deconstructing Hippocrates. Work-life balance. Ooh. Yep. That's innovative, as the Brits say. Day one, lecture one, don't make this your whole life. That will destroy you. This was what year? 2007. That's pretty progressive. Yep. That they care about you as a human first. First. The thing they set as the tone first is be a person it's it's remarkable. I'm I'm a gog. It's it's a sh- it's a shocking, uh, shockingly different from what I hear from my colleagues. The curriculum is very different. Uh, the amount of time in the curriculum to figure out what the hell you're going to do is different. And th- like I had surgeons ejecting humanism into my life. I was writing three page biopsychosocial formulations 
in pediatrics about C. diff patients Mm -hmm. to think about what went on in their world that coming to the hospital now is what made sense. So just to fast forward to go backwards, do you think that this is now more widely adopted than the randomness that this was what you walked into? Mm, um, What do you hope? I I think the biopsychosocial model of medicine, which is what George Engel is, I, I think the one of the predominant frameworks, at least for psychiatry, but not across medicine. It's still convincing all the doctors that they should care about humans and what's going on in their lives. It seems less relevant to other professions. I think psychiatry has accepted that like, if you're stressed out and if you don't have a family and if your social situation sucks, it's going to impact your illness. But I, I don't know that trauma surgery spends as much time advocating to reduce violence in the community because in Rochester, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. The trauma surgeons were out there with the police building AI shot spotter detection systems in 2009 to prevent the bullet wounds they were sick of stitching up. Wow. Yeah. That's really ahead of its time. Yeah. One might not conjure up Rochester as the place where this would emanate. But, but it was, and I was exceptionally lucky and am exceptionally lucky to have that as where I started as a physician because they can't beat it out of you afterwards. So we discussed before the show that you're friends with one of my, actually, you're friends with my best friend in the whole world, Dr. Philip Eisenberg. I mean, I know him. We're not buds. Well. Maybe now. But there's like four of you, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a small pool to not know each other. Mm-hmm. And we always joke, by the way, he has twins. We have twins. It's it's odd. Twin, my psychiatrist has twins. Twinception right now at this point. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you to raise your children at the early onset with this psychiatrist hat on? Well, my wife's also a psychiatrist. Oh, dear God. Go yeah. on. And and frankly, much more of one than I am. Like, okay. Uh, my wife is Carlene McMillan. And when people figure that out, they're amused. She, among other things, is the chief medical officer at Osmind. Um, she's the chair of the Consumer Issues Committee for ACAP. She's on the board of directors of the Clinical TMS Society. She's Harvard, 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 Harvard. Uh, so real. So you married way up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Totally. Um, we, we met at a child psychiatry conference. And so they have two psychiatrists as parents, and neither of us are analysts, uh, which is in their favor, I think, because we don't overthink it. But being a parent is a nightmare. And being a parent of <laughs> twins, it's like, there's just what I love about it is there's no pretense that you're going to do a good job. <laughs> you're going to Wait, barely... you didn't get the handbook? You're... No, they didn't give it to me. Okay. Well, we got the handbook. Well, I mean, <laughs> the handbook for the recently deceased from Beetlejuice, but still the handbook. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the twin twin parenting is like just pure survival. And I think that's good because you don't overthink it as much as when you have one at a time. My dad told my wife and I when they were born that the secret to raising children is that for the first 13 years, because we're Jewish, so the bar mitzvah is like this, the, the, the divining rod, yeah. right, is don't kill them. And then by the time they turn 13, your goal is to teach themselves not to get themselves killed. Yeah. And we've achieved the first part because mine just turned 13. How old are yours? Uh, seven. Okay. Yeah. And only barely. Both of my kids have had neurosurgery uh, with the same attending neurosurgeon. Wow. Yeah. What was their... So uh, Trent had his skull reconstructed, uh, the boy, at about one and a half. 
He had craniosynostosis, which is the early fusion of the, the plates in the skull. Mm-hmm. And if it fuses too soon, your head grows in a weird way and they have to fix it. And they did neurosurgery and pediatric facial plastics together in an hour and a half rebuilt my son's skull. Amazing. Um, totally amazing. My dad had a DVT the same day. Oh, dear. And died three weeks later. There's no homework card for that shit. Uh, it, it's worse than that. Mm-hmm. I had a, I lost a patient four months before that, uh, and then I lost my sister three weeks later after my dad. And it's it's brutal. I've written about about those things. And now you've been very open about yeah. this. I was I was stalking your content prior to this conversation, and which is another like disclosure and honesty. Do you find that many MDs in your position? do not want to, or they withhold this? So I've been forced to think more about it than others because um, I have stalkers. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a problem. Who are dentists. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought a lot about self-disclosure well before that because I knew I came – to being a physician and and training to be a psychiatrist because of my personal experience. I had J. John Mann stick a needle in my spine when I was 20 in a research subject. At for for what? For a study. You volunteered for a spinal tap? I did. Did they give you like M&Ms and cookies afterwards? Nope. What was the motivation? Uh, I was a 20-year-old who had bipolar disorder. And it was not going well. And so my mom called. Well, she did, did what any parent does. You call the person you know who might have some answer. Mm-hmm. The per- my mom runs a jazz festival. And so she called her jazz piano player friend who happened to be Dr. Denny Zeitlin. Who ha- happened to be. Who, well, he's a piano player and a, a jazz musician, like a yeah. touring jazz musician, mm-hmm. but also UCSF psychiatry faculty. And so Denny, as he played on the festival, I've done an album for the man. Uh, and he said, look, take him, find the closest research study that doesn't, you know, for the thing. And they won't drop a study patient. So that's, that's what she did. All right. We're going to take a break because it's hard to break on that. <laughs> but we'll be yeah. back in just a minute after these messages from, I don't know, Wegmans. They might be a sponsor. <laughs> Not a sponsor. <laughs> but how great would it be? Underwriter. If- it, how great would it be if the if the if ad was for Wegmans? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll be right. Natural back. male enhancement. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car; you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So when were you formally diagnosed with bipolar? Uh, I was 16. What were your symptoms? So I had been depressed uh, from early childhood pretty regularly. For like four years old, my, my mother would later tell me that I had been like explicit. Like I said, I want to kill myself when I was four years old. Oh, my. Yeah. And I, I do. I have a creepily good memory. It was only made obvious to me, I think, in my late 30s that I have an idactic memory. What does that mean? It's like a, a photographic memory, but for episodic information. Mm. And so... So you're like Rain Man-ish uh, in the better sense of high function? I don't have... I, it's To my knowledge, I don't have autism. You can't count toothpicks? I can remember in very long form detail what I did or said with virtually anyone I've ever met, like on the day I met them. So the synaptic recall as a gift? Uh, it's a it's torture. Mm. Frankly, I remember every code I've ever done. Um, I remember the way the light looked in the room. I know the room number. I know the vent settings. I know uh, the like. I it, it became it started to become a problem in residency because when you're in, like you don't know that you're different. Nobody knows the ways in which they're different from other people because you basically assume everyone is like you or thinks like you. And after first or second year residency, people started to find it off-putting that I would know like details, like numbers, mostly from studies and stuff. And when most people are talking, I think I read a study once that said something like, and I would say things like, well, in the intercept trial, which had 986 patients. I don't remember if that's the real number now. With schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder, they found a reduction in suicidality with olanzapine as compared to clozapine. But so you have didn't... this memorized in your head. Yeah. It just come out of you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's fine. It's like cute when it's like the chapter of a book. Right. But when, when it sounds like I'm being a smartass, mm. and I don't know that that's not something that other people do, it people look at you weird. And I had a sit down with a supervisor in fellowship, uh, Mehmet Tosiali, who's a fabulous child psychiatrist. And uh, I, I brought this up with him and he's like, that sounds like a them problem. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Because when you're a trainee, they expect to teach you stuff and, and there's plenty to learn. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much to learn. There's so much I don't know. But it did mean, like, I have no idea how long it takes anybody to get a test done other than me. So, so these days, I mean, if if you go to your LinkedIn profile, I've never seen anyone that has still there, still there, still there, present, present, present for like nine things. Mm. And I know Fermata as yeah. a musician, great tongue in cheek. I love it. Thanks. Brilliant. Fantastic. Super like inside baseball thing for many, many people. 
Um, it's also intermittent theta burst stimulation for TMS, and the pause between the treatments is the important thing. Well, it's the pause. Yeah, it's the it's pause. It's a strategic pause also. But the strategic fermata is the musical term for a strategic pause in mm -hmm. music. It's also what makes the brain stimulation I do work better. So listeners, you may know I did a show earlier this year on uh, deep brain stimulation with John Nelson, who was living with, I think, treatment-resistant major depressive disorder, if I got that right. And he underwent what I consider, like I'm, I'm joking about this, but they put magnets in your head controlled by like a Commodore 64 joystick. Mm -hmm. And like it light switches off your wanting to kill yourself. Yep. Is it really that simple? Yep. And I think we, we had- some people. We had, I mean, that's, it, nothing's 100%, mm -hmm. right? But what bothered me about the show was I heard it was FDA approved. Mm -hmm. And yet people can't get to it because they don't know about it. Is that true? So DBS is different from transcranial magnetic stimulation. I explain the difference. The non-invasive version I do. So in deep brain stimulation, um, which is not yet FDA approved in okay. depression, but many of us who do brain stimulation are very familiar with that data and, and have thoughts and feelings about it. But they actually do surgery, right? And so this is why I, didn't, this is why I went to medical school was to learn this technique. Um, and I did a neurosurgery rotation so I could be present for those surgeries, uh, but not that I was going to do them. So what is transcranial what? Magnetic stimulation. So you have a brain and you can either- uh, presumptively, presumptively, one has a brain. And it turns out like the way it works is rhythm and it's synchronizing one area of the brain with another area of the brain in a rhythm or a ratio of rhythms, like a polyrhythm that makes the brain work. That's the cheat code. And I think a lot of that has to do with evolutionary things that happened like 300 million years ago in the serotonin system when it comes to regulation of sensory experience. But mm -hmm. we, we have this like big thing, which is hyper-efficient from an energy standpoint. And so the, the, the special thing that our brains can do is create synchronized both within themselves. So if you think of, uh, I was a musician first. Are you, are you musical? I am a concert pianist. Yeah, so yes. Uh, that's This is my favorite metaphor. A lot of mental health treatment today is a little bit like we're screaming at everyone to practice more, but the piano's out of tune. Mm -hmm. Will it ever sound good? No. No, because <laughs> there's a tuning problem. Now, any piano key, you hit the key, it's actually two or three strings it's hitting. Mm -hmm. And they have to be in tune with each other. Right. And if that sounds good, and then it's in a ratio to the other ones, it'll sound fine. If it's not, it'll sound like shit, and no amount of practice will make it better. Right. And so a lot of therapy isn't going to work if the instrument's at tune. And you need a tune-up. And now, I think it's actually literally true that tuning is the issue. Tuning the brain. Yeah. And when I say tuning, I mean the pattern of neurons firing mm -hmm. is not in its appropriate synchronization. And any pattern is at a question of time resolution. So if you think of a major chord, it's a ratio of rhythms of four against five against six. And the harmonics. Correct. And the, the harmonics will give it the timbre or the mm -hmm. quality. But fundamentally, you have a ratio of four against five against six. That vibrates on our ear. Our inner ear breaks that down with essentially analog fast Fourier transformation mm -hmm. in our cochlea into its component frequencies. And then that's experienced by the brain as a pattern of neurons firing in our acoustic cortex, which is then presented to our conscious experience. So you're saying the brain's out of tune with the sound. So 
if you have tinnitus, right, you have the, a standing wave. Like you experience a, a tone mm-hmm. in, without it happening in the world, right? Yeah. And it sounds bad and it hurts to experience and it's distressing. But major chords sound good. We feel good when we hear something triumphant. If you slow that rhythm down, you actually get a rhythm. Yeah. Wait, are you going to go beatbox on me now? Uh, not quite, but close. Right. So the the rhythm that sounds triumphant slowed down is like that. Right. It's not the actual rhythm. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a good enough beatboxer, but it sounds major, and we feel triumphant. All of our feelings <laughs> are the major chord, but for an emotion. Mm-hmm. So uh, the reason we have that kind of association of a sensation of triumph with the major chord is we all have a little bit of synesthesia. The pairing, Which is what? The pairing of a sensory experience and something else. Synesthesia is like there are people who hear a sound and they get a sense of a color. Mm, Yes. They can hear colors. They can hear colors or or see sounds. Mm -hmm. But the feeling of a triumphant chord or a sad chord you're getting a, an emotional experience linked to a sensory experience. Right. So the transcranial something something it's is the pattern. piano tuner. Is the, piano the tuner, tuner correct? It tunes the strings of the brain to right. to receive uh, stimulus in a way that doesn't make you sad. Yep. And and so with with DBS deep brain stimulation, you do surgery to drop a a, a, a electrode deep in your brain. Yeah, John had these like horns sticking out of his skull. Yep. And, and that's a way of creating a reversible lesion, mm. CMS, to change a circuit right. and to get it back in sync and in tune. Transcranial magnetic stimulation can do the same thing without any surgery. And there are other ways to do it as well. And I would argue that's what therapy is. Right. We're retuning our brains in real time by getting in sync with someone. All right, I'm going to channel my my Gen X upbringing when walk it off was your therapy, mm-hmm. right? Are we more susceptible today to these conditions because of the hyperstimulation of society and information, or has it always been there? We just didn't know about it. Are, are humans genetically, evolutionarily equipped to deal with society's freneticism today? I mean – Empirically, the world is shittier based on the number of people who want to die in it than ever in the U.S. at least. So I would argue just looking at the data, like more people died by suicide last year than ever before. And I did a deep dive on this in my column recently on the frontierpsychiatrists.substack.com where I I compared it to the leftovers and I think we're dealing with unimaginable grief and loss. In a way that, like, has the world been shittier before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it was not nice to be in the Mongol era. Right. We are, this is the least violent world we've I mean, Attila known. the Han was pretty terrible. Yeah. Violence and the ability to be violent rapidly um, was more common in many parts of the world before the modern era. The amount we feel distressed by our experience is very high right now. And I don't know that it's the freneticism that does it, but I think the lack of connection um, and, and other factors is 
is a huge problem. So does that tie into the endemic of, of the internet, making us less social in real life creatures? Yes. Okay. That was my question. Yeah. But has the internet ruined everything? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's done some things better for some people. Yeah, but of course. less connected people who are more lonely are more at risk. And we can do 30 shows on solving for loneliness and like just the very awareness. I'm a, I'm a student of history and I talk about how in the, in the, in the 80s and 90s, like when I was sick, you kind of just died. And now you mostly live thanks to medicines and other infrastructural things. But now progress is the ebb tide that reveals all the things we couldn't pay attention to as of yet. You know, it used to be like, the, the fresh air class on the roof to calm the kids down when my grandfather did the fresh air class. And then there was like uh, the resource room, right? Just stick them all in there, right? And then it was mental health wasn't a word. It was just like survivorship was like rehabilitation. And now it's the very phrase mental health people. Do you think systemically society understands what that means or is it is it just too broad of a brush uh it's a nonsense term thank you thank you thank you (laughs) the mental health vacation of psychiatric illness and other human experiences which are appropriately distressing um is not if i have to hear someone say we need to talk about mental health one more time uh, I may become violent. <laughs> Makes you want to punch some kittens. Uh, well, I know the feeling. We don't. I mean, that's the that's not the answer. If you had something useful to say that would help someone that that had like, what does that mean? And and the problem is nobody knows, or mm-hmm. few people know, and even fewer have anything to say that's useful about it. But just talking about the ways in which you're miserable generically ends up being gaslighting, and it ends up, I think. Uh, frequently being used by predators and hucksters to to prey on people. Is is it even fair to think that there's a simpler way to break this down into categories of severity? Yes. Is anyone doing that? Me. Are you the only one doing that? No. Okay. Are you cloning yourself? No. You know Rick and Morty, by the way? They might be able to help you. Well, I I think there is – like I, I'm giving, I'm giving a talk next week at HR Disrupt Chicago. Okay. On the mental health crisis is already over. Nobody told you yet. But I'll, I'll use accelerated TMS uh, as an example. Okay. So, as of August the first, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has decided that paying for Saint Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Treatment, Saint, it's a brand name which is based on work out of um, Stanford uh, and the Brain Stimulation Laboratory by uh, my colleague Nolan Williams uh, and, and others. I actually work at Acacia Clinics as their SVP of strategy, which is the contract research organization, among other things, that got that through the FDA. But depression can be over in 79% of people in five days. With what treatment? Accelerated transcranial magnetic stimulation guided by functional magnetic resonance imaging using artificial intelligence to create exactly the right target for your depression in your brain. And then we do a non-invasive stimulation eight and a half minutes at a time, 10 times a day, five days in a row, and it's over. And you're, the light switches off. You're, yep. you're done. You're mm-hmm. cured. For at last 12 to 18 months on average. Okay. And I've been doing that for years and we have it 
for OCD, which is actually a trademark I own called Brain Behavioral Response Augmented Intelligent Neuromodulation. I like good acronyms. I know. They're good. They're important. Um, so we have that for OCD. That has a $150,000 guarantee for anyone who buys it, not with my money even. It's independently validated uh, that the data on that is real. And it comes with a million-dollar insurance policy on any claims if you're an employer group buying that service that you didn't violate your fiduciary duty under ERISA when it comes to mental health parity. Well, we're running out of time, <laughs> and I feel like I want you back. Uh, we got to keep this conversation yeah. going. But Depression again, can be over. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that Retune the brain. It takes finding the right spot, doing enough treatment. And actually paying for it. But when you do, 79% of people suffering for 20 years with 13 medications that didn't work, over. You're just turning the switch off. Yep. Now that's progress. Yeah. That's not get over to therapy. No. You don't, we don't, you have, there's nothing to talk about there. Right. There's no chit-chatting about it. You sit in a chair, we have a scan that picks the spot, and we do enough, and it's over. We got to get the word out. Yeah. And that's just one thing. Yeah. We have remarkable treatments for PTSD, ADHD, all the stuff. None of it is meds. So this goes back to your, the mental health crisis is over. Yeah. Asterisk. Yeah. This is what's next. At least for depression, the vast majority of people suffering with depression right now could have that be over in five days if they could get this treatment. I hate to let the listeners dangle the participle. Yeah. But- I'm going to have you back shortly. I'll take it. And I want to figure out a way to make sure that we get as many people to listen to that episode as possible and to drive them to learn more at credible, empathetic platforms that explain this to them in layperson, maybe with less syllables, but I'm sure there's a way to do that <laughs> because you are a multi-syllable creature. Yeah, I am. Yes. Yeah, I just lean into it. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, it is what it is. All right. Owen Muir. I'm just going to read this because you're too many things. Yeah. I just think the, the Frontier Psychiatrist Substack, if you're a Substack person, check out – if you're not, I mean, check out anyway. Substack is like the new everything. Yeah. I'm on there. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing on there, but I'm on there. But I love your quote. You have the right to your health, right? What a great quote. What yep. a great quote. Co-author – I'm going to read this. You are an author or co-author. Yep. Very important to mention this. Adolescent Suicide and Self-Injury, Mentalizing Theory and Treatment. Yep. Available wherever books are sold? Uh, I mean, uh, Amazon and Springer Nature Publishing. Right. I don't know that like academic – I mean, it's a therapy manual by okay. an academic publisher. Two poetry books too. And the music – you're still writing? Uh, yeah, on Spotify, Owen Muir. Uh, I have uh, another album coming out on the 9th and then another one on the 11th of October, but I've got about four albums to my name. And raising twins. God bless yeah. you, my friend. <laughs> How are you alive? How are you breathing? How are you here? Uh, it's tiring. Yep. All right. Well, to be continued. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Muir. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. 
For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.